we're fortunate this morning to have a beloved brother to speak to us that needs no introduction to this audience. One that has moved away from us, but he's very close to us in our hearts, Brother Ellie Parker. His subject for this morning is a challenge to the brotherhood. The scripture reading that he's asking me to read is from 2 Timothy, the second chapter. Therefore, thou therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men, who shall be able to keep. And the servant of the Lord must not strive, but be gentle unto all men, apt to teach, patience, in meekness, instructing the, those that oppose themselves, if God preadventure will give them repentance unto acknowledgment of the truth, and that they may recover themselves out of the snare of the devil, who are taken captive by him at his will. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading of his word. And I'll give you Brother L. E. Parker speak on the subject, a challenge to the brotherhood. Brother L. Brothers and sisters, and most respected friends, it is indeed a pleasure to be present with you here on this, the 1965 Kentucky Bible School. I'm sure that I can speak for all of us who came from California, that we have been looking forward to this occasion with a great deal of pleasure and we have not been disappointed. It is especially a pleasure and it is especially profitable for us to assemble in this manner for the purpose for which we have assembled here this week. That is, for the purpose of further investigating the revealed will of God, which is brought to us in his word. We are admonished in this word, or in this book, to search the scriptures, for in them ye think ye have eternal life, and they are they which testify of me. It is also profitable for us to withdraw, as it were, from the rumble and noise and confusion of the wheels of progress in this modern age in which we live for the purpose of renewing ourselves periodically because it is difficult in this modern times for us to keep closely in touch with things spiritual. And it is well worthwhile for us to spend a week and even more if it were possible for us to do so uh, renewing ourselves on these things most surely believed among us. We are meeting now at this time in a very interesting 
and stimulating period in the history of man. We say interesting because of the amazing progress that has been made in our day in the fields of science, medicine, and engineering. Perhaps there has never been, we're sure there has never been in the history of mankind, such a drastic change as this generation has witnessed. Since the turn of the century, those who remember back to about that time, has seen us go from the horse and buggy to automobiles to airplanes and to rockets and finally to space satellites. Uh, an amazing uh, progress, if we would call it that. And it is interesting to see these things taking place. We say this is also a stimulating period because we have seen before our very eyes and we are seeing and witnessing the fulfillment or at least the beginning of the fulfillment of so many beautiful and interesting prophecies as revealed in God's word. We see Israel again in the land of their forefathers, which we know to be in keeping with the word prophecy. We see the nations of the world beating their plowshares into swords and their pruning hooks into spears, which also we know to be in keeping with the word of prophecy. We see Russia assuming what we believe to be the role of Gog, of the land of Magog, prince of Rosh, Meshach, and Tubal. We see the West opposing her and assuming what we believe to be the role of Sheba and Dedan and the merchants of Tarsus with all the young lions thereof. All of these things are of interest to us. All of these things speak to us of the nearness of the return of Christ and the establishment of the kingdom of God here upon the earth. And these things are stimulating to us, and they should be more stimulating. Now, these uh, things transpiring about us as they are, all of which is uh, in keeping with what we know to be the word of prophecy, the things that we and our brethren have looked for for well over a hundred years, should make this age, this time, this generation in which we live, very easy to maintain a firm grasp on the truth and on those things most surely believed among us. But sad to say, this is not the case. Uh, unfortunately, or perhaps fortunately, we do not know, we are perhaps living in an age in which it is the most difficult time the brethren of Christ have ever experienced to maintain a firm grasp on the truth. It perhaps is the most difficult time that has ever been known to keep a firm grasp, to keep closely in touch with the things of the truth, with things spiritual. Now this may seem like rather strange language in view of the hardships that our brethren 
uh, almost 2,000 years ago were called upon to undergo. When we think of how the first and second century brethren lost limb and life and property and their defense of the truth, this may seem like rather strange language. And we do not wish to minimize the difficulties and the trials and tribulations that those people underwent. It would be a great mistake to do so. And perhaps we of this generation are not geared uh, in such a way that we could withstand the trials and tribulations that they underwent. But we of this generation are facing something just as pernicious and just as dangerous to our salvation as those people were of the first and second centuries. Now, when those people were made, uh, were faced with major decisions, with major trials, that was something that stimulated them and generated faith and belief in their faith. It had a way of doing that. But with us, we perhaps, this isn't always the case, but we may live throughout our uh, time of probation without ever being faced with a major problem, a major decision that would in itself compromise our position in the truth. But rather, we are faced with a series of lesser problems and lesser decisions, none of which in themselves are of major importance, but all of them taken together in this age of tolerance, this age of materialism, and of lax uh, morality, may be inclined, unless we are careful, push the truth into the background and cause us to lose our sense of spiritual values. And this is one of the challenges that the Brotherhood faces today, is losing our sense of spiritual values, allowing materialism, allowing tolerance and uh, self-indulgence to push these things into the background. That is one of the major uh, challenges that we face. <clears throat> now there are very few who go through the waters of baptism who would de uh, purposely and knowingly compromise their position in the truth. Few of them would do that. Few of us. Few of any of us. However, we may unknowingly allow ourselves to compromise our position because of these lesser things of which we speak, because we are living in an age in which society is so tolerant, so broad-minded, an age in which it is supposed to be the mark of a cultured lady or gentleman to be tolerant of those who do not practice the things that they necessarily practice or believe the things that they necessarily believe. <clears throat> now we have spoken of the difficulties involved in maintaining a firm grasp upon the truth, and we have proceeded to talk about the condition in the society in which we live in this connection. Now you may not see any association between these two ideas. 
because it is sometimes thought that if you are able to explain to your friends and neighbors the fact that the kingdom of God is not going to be in heaven, but is rather going to be here upon the earth, that Christ is going to come back here to the earth and reign, and the saints, the abode of the saints, is going to be here upon the earth. It is sometimes thought that if you are able to do this, that you have a firm grasp on the truth, that this is all is necessary. Well, brethren, we do not wish to minimize the necessity of knowing this. This is very important. This is very closely associated. In fact, it's bound up, and it is the gospel message. But for us to have a firm grasp on the truth in a scriptural sense of the word, much more than this is required. The truth must be a living, moving, motivating force in our lives. It must be the motivating force in our decisions, whether it, they, these decisions are directly concerned with things spiritual or not. Every decision we make should be influenced and our, our decision should be motivated by things spiritual, by the truth. And these uh, things, uh, the materialism, the age of tolerance, and all of these things may influence this in an adverse way. That's why we say that these things may tend to crowd the truth into the background and not cause us to purposely and knowingly compromise the truth, but gradually and unknowingly to us cause us to compromise and to lose our sense of spiritual values. <clears throat> now we have, as we have mentioned, spoken of the condition of society in this respect. Now the influence that society and the thinking of the social order in which we live, the danger of this cannot be overemphasized. Now this danger was recognized by Moses, that is through the uh, divine inspiration when the law was given to him. Uh, this danger was taken into account and Israel was warned against this very thing. And they were told, do not give your daughters to their sons in marriage, neither take uh, their sons for your daughters in marriage. Why? Because of the influence of their thinking, because they will influence you and possibly cause you to turn from serving your God and turn to serving idols and to doing the various things that was a, the common practice of uh, pagans in that day and time. They were warned against this. In the law of Moses, they were told you should not do this because of the danger of the influence of those around them. They were told to be on guard against this very thing. But did they heed this warning? Unfortunately, they did not. On one occasion, as you know, in desiring a king to rule over them, they said, we want to be like all the nations. We want a king. They saw the nations around them with a king. They wanted a king. They wanted to be like the other people. The natural tendency of human beings is to be like those around them. But this is not pleasing to God. God wants a people who will come out 
from those around them and who will be motivated by things spiritual rather than the thinking of the flesh or the carnal mind. And so this influence of the nations around them ultimately brought about the destruction of Israel as a nation. Now this danger is just as real for us today as it was for Israel of old, possibly even more so. Now we know from experience, if we will but reflect a moment, that it is much easier to do right and to refrain from doing wrong morally if the society in which we live recognizes the difference between right and wrong. Now, uh, we can think back perhaps 20, 30, 40, 50 years ago, and we know that the society in which we live then, or the brethren in the past live, they're thinking in as far as what was morally right and morally wrong, ran much closer to what the revealed will of God teaches is right and wrong than it does today. And in a situation like that, even brethren, if they recognize that they will be uh, ostracized from society because of wrongdoing, even the brethren are more likely to do that which is right. Uh, and now we're talking about big, major things. But even in the lesser things, it is easier to do that which is right if the society in which we live knows and recognizes and practices that which is right in opposition to that which is wrong. But when the upstanding of the community not only tolerate but practice dishonesty and deceit as a way of life, when moral indecencies cause nothing more than a raised eyebrow occasionally, even among the elite of society, when even the so-called religious leaders of the day believe and teach that much of the Bible is nothing more than a myth, and that a belief in an actual, literal God is old-fashioned and out of date, when these things are in evidence all about us, then it is almost impossible to maintain our spiritual equilibrium. And this poses another major challenge to the brotherhood of today. Now we would like to emphasize this fact that all around us we hear of the necessity of Christianity, so-called, or of religion, needing to move ahead to meet the needs of modern man, that the thinking of the religious leaders is outdated, outmoded, that it is antique, and that it must move ahead to meet the needs of this present modern order in which we live. Do not be misled with this kind of reasoning. Now this, this kind of reasoning can sound very logical and even desirable in the hands of a cunning and crafty exponent, but this is in no way compatible to the teaching of God's word 
In God's word, we find that God himself has set down certain principles upon which he will be worshipped. And man is not in any position to change one iota. Never do we see any reason or any justification for man to change his religion or for religion to change to meet the needs of man. This is not the purpose of religion. The purpose of religion is to change man to meet the principles and the requirements of God. So the need today is not to change religion to meet the needs of society, but the need is to change the thinking of society, to change and revamp man to meet the requirements of God. <clears throat> Now we have spoken of these principles which have been established by God and which must be observed by man if he is to approach God in a reasonable and acceptable manner in the sight of God and there is no other acceptable way. These principles must be observed and maintained. First, there are the principles of the doctrine of Christ, the teachings of the gospel. Uh, in other words, an accurate knowledge of what God requires of us. Now we're talking, first of all, about a rudimentary understanding of these things for a scriptural approach to God. But there are principles laid down in the scripture that must be understood and observed and maintained and defended in this connection. Otherwise, we do not know what God requires of us unless we have, as we say, at least a rudimentary understanding of these things. We have no way of knowing what God wants, what God requires, what we should do. But once an understanding of our accurate knowledge of God's word has been obtained, we cannot stop here. This is not all, this is necessary, this is the first step, but this is not all that is required because a proper conduct must also be observed by the brethren of Christ. There's a certain standard of right and wrong laid down in the scriptures of truth that must also be observed. And as we have said, we are not in a position to decide what this should be on our own. We must go to the scriptures of truth to decide what we can do and what we cannot do to be pleasing in the sight of God. Now, the thinking of the society in which we live may or may not agree with what we should or should not do. But this has nothing to do with it. This has nothing to do with what is right and what is wrong. The revealed will of God is the only thing that enters the picture. Another principle that is laid down for us is that this table that we see before us this morning is the table of the Lord. 
and it must be maintained as such. Now, these principles were recognized as being of paramount importance by Christ and the apostles, and these principles have been believed and practiced and defended by our brethren of modern times for well over a hundred years. Now, how do they appear to us? Now that we are meeting here in this modern age of 1965, an age crowned by scientific, medical, and engineering success, untold of before, how do these principles appear to us? Does it seem to us that possibly our brethren of the past were too narrow in their thinking, that we should be allowed more latitude in our thinking and in our conduct than the brethren of the past have felt should be allowed? Have some of these principles lost much of their importance in our minds in this day and time? If so, if they have, then this is a danger signal for us because we may be allowing ourselves to be carried along with the tolerant attitude of the modern society in which we live. We may be allowing ourselves to be over-influenced or influenced, period, by the liberal thinking of those around us. It has been truthfully said, and there's a lot of wisdom in this, that we of this time should be first century brethren or Christians, but living in the 20th century. In other words, the same principles of doctrine, of conduct, in the first and second century is just as binding on us as it was at that time. Now, we are separated by the first century believers by almost 2,000 years but actually, and in reality, our problems are basically the same. And we ourselves are basically the same. So that the same principles of truth are just as binding on us, and they are the same in 1965 as they were in the first century. There is a, an ironclad principle uh, known and observed by those who are engaged in scientific research, and it is just as binding and it holds just as much meaning to us as it does to them. And that is this. Truth never changes. Now listen to this. Truth never changes, but man's conception of truth very often changes. Now, is our conception of the truth changing? If so, then this is a danger signal, and we may be getting off on the wrong foot, because this principle that we mentioned states, and it is just as true in spiritual things as it is in scientific research, truth never changes, but man's conception of truth very often changes. We, uh, we do not wish to uh, overemphasize this point, but it is such a major challenge to us in this uh, age of changing uh, ideas 
and changing notions in regard to right and wrong that we do not believe it can be overemphasized, actually. And we would like to illustrate this a little further by a principle called parallax. Now, the meaning of parallax is this. It is the apparent motion of one body in relationship to another body due to the change in the position of the observer. Now, that may sound rather complicated to you, but it really isn't. It simply means this, that when you're watching two objects and you change and you move along, those objects appear to move in relation to each other, but actually they don't. It's because you move. Now, this can be very uh, simply demonstrated in a hall such as this. When, when you're seated, as you now are, and you look at the speaker and move your head to the right, the head of the person in front of you appears to move to the left in relation to the speaker. And if you move your head to the left, his or her head appears to move to the right in relation to the speaker. Well, now, as we have said, the two objects do not move, really, but they appear to move because you are moving. Now, there are two points necessary to bear in mind in this connection if we are to get the lesson that is possible for us to get from parallax. That is, uh, these, uh, the uh, uh, bodies being observed, or the objects, do not move. They do not move in reality. They only appear to move. That's one point. The other point is, in some cases, the observer, or you yourself, do not know you are moving. You may be moving without being conscious of it, without knowing that you are moving, and objects appear to move because of this. Now, this is a principle that is uh, known and studied and must be taken into account by astronomers in order to understand and explain the behavior of the heavenly bodies. Now, in ancient times, the astronomers were not aware of one factor, that is, that the Earth was in motion. They thought the Earth was the center of the universe, and the heavenly bodies were revolving around the Earth, or were in orbit around the Earth. And because of this, they were oftentimes mixed up and were thrown off in their calculations uh, relative to the behavior of the heavenly bodies because they thought all the motion was in the other objects they were observing when actually the motion was due to the fact that the earth was revolving on its axis and was in orbit around the sun. Now, these very same things can be applied to principles of truth. These principles are, of truth are like the great and beautiful and magnificent heavenly bodies. They actually are stationary. Now, we know that some of the, the planets are also in orbit around the sun, and we know that when we try to make a, a comparison of the natural with the spiritual, everything doesn't apply. But for the most part, those, those brilliant heavenly lights that we see out there actually are stationary. And uh, it is necessary for us to realize that. Uh, if we watch the Big Dipper at night, it appears to go around the North Star, but it actually doesn't. It's because the Earth turns. 
Well, now, in our efforts to keep ourselves properly oriented spiritually, we must recognize that these great and beautiful and brilliant principles of truth do not move. They do not change position. They remain stationary. Now, if they appear to be moving and changing their position to us, then we have what we might call a sort of spiritual parallax, because what is happening? We are moving. Now, in this fast-moving society in which we live, it is oftentimes most difficult for us to properly maintain our spiritual equilibrium at times, as we have said. And to do this, we can liken uh, navigators, uh, for instance, keeping their position. They can always tell because the North Star doesn't appear to move. Now, uh, we, we know that technically it does a slight bit because the North Pole doesn't point directly to the North Star. But for all practical purposes, the North Star remains fixed and stationary in uh, both reality and in appearance. Now, this also is like the truth and principles of truth, especially the first principles of truth, uh, of doctrine and conduct both, so that we should always keep our eyes fixed on these things, so that if we are jostled about at times and find ourselves oscillating a bit in the thinking, the liberal intolerant thinking of society, we can always know where the, the principles of truth are so that we know where we are going in a spiritual way. And we should very often take stock of ourselves to see if these principles seem to be shifting in either position or importance in our lives or in our thinking. And in doing this and attempting to keep ourselves properly oriented, we must at all times maintain a very delicate sense of balance in everything that we do. This is, this is true in everything. For example, uh, the uh, necessity of maintaining the proper balance between doctrine and conduct. We cannot overemphasize either of these. They are both necessary and they both have a most vital place in our lives, but we must maintain a delicate balance between the two. And this is not the natural thing for us to do either in any of these things. It is natural for us to overemphasize one point, uh, something that appeals to us, and uh, sometimes leave out or uh, ignore something else that does not necessarily appeal to us. But when we are able to keep ourselves properly oriented spiritually, and when we are able to maintain a very delicate balance between all the phases and facets of the truth, it is a sure sign of maturity of a brother or sister if he can, con can deal with and contend for every phase and facet of the truth with impartiality and equal emphasis. And this will involve the proper blending of doctrine, of conduct, of ecclesial discipline, tempered with love and understanding. Now we mention ecclesial discipline. 
in this connection. Now, this is perhaps the major point upon which there is a challenge to the brotherhood in order to maintain the proper balance, in order to show the proper maturity in thinking and all points of the truth, because it has always been most difficult to engage in this in a scriptural manner. Now again, the thinking of society has in the past and does at this time influence our thinking somewhat in this respect, although it shouldn't. But in the past, we know that ecclesial discipline has been taken without the show of the proper love and understanding. When this is done, we know that this does not reflect mature thinking and the delicate sense of balance of which we speak. However, we also face the problem or the tendency of feeling that if we have the proper love and understanding, no ecclesial discipline at all is necessary. Well, now, this is immature thinking also, because, as you know, from the teachings of the Scripture, we are all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus, and it is just as immature to think that we do not need discipline as it is to think uh, children, our own children, do not need discipline. But it must be done, and when, when we can enter into ecclesial discipline, in the manner revealed in the scripture, in a, a balanced showing of knowledge, of doctrine, of conduct, and love, then this is the crowning point of a mature brother or sister. This is a good indication that one has reached that point in which it is said that he is of the, the stature of the fullness of Christ. Now, we would like to make this observation, and this is perhaps the saddest commentary on the truth that we see evidence of in this generation. And that is that those who do contend in a scriptural manner for these wonderful principles of the truth are very often misunderstood, criticized, and even condemned by those they love and who themselves also know and understand the truth, but who do not see the necessity of contending for it. Now, in the future, let us question ourselves and let us examine our reactions to things of this kind. And before we are too quick to criticize or condemn, let us be sure we know what is being contended for and why. Thank you. Thank you, Brother Ellie, for those corrective, instructive, and uplifting words. And it certainly is a challenge to the Brotherhood to follow the admonition that we have received this morning. The Christian elephants of all people are a very ambitious people. It does not seem so to the world because we do not set our affections on worldly things. 
We seek not the glory, fame, nor fortune of this world, but we are set our affections on heavenly things. Now, when we do so, we must be motivated, as we have been told by the Spirit Word. We must have the right knowledge, we must do the right thing, we must not change our religious principles, they are tried and true. We must know where we are going, and we must discipline ourselves accordingly. 